Sir, are you classified as human? Uh, negative. I am a meat popsicle. This week on Young Nostalgia, we're getting high as fidelity. Let's take a look. <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> to Young Nostalgia, this whole episode is an absolute train wreck. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Nolan, as always. Ben is beside me, and we're just a pack of meat popsicles just ready to be eaten. Ben, how you doing today, big guy? I'm doing okay. I was watching the clock. We were 35 seconds into the show, and it was already a train wreck. Oh, God. <laughs> This is what happens when you record one day late. Yep. Setting the bar and low. You pull. Yep. And, and then you pull a show topic straight out of the cracks and you're behind. This is Young Nostalgia. Thank you so much for being with us. This week on episode 85, we're going to be talking about high fidelity in terms of stereo equipment, um, kind of where it got its roots, where it kind of reached its peak, and why vintage radio equipment is so sought after um, and why it's so cool today. And even sometimes people prefer it over modern day equipment for their listening pleasure. Uh, to be honest, I pulled this out of my butt because I've been doing way too much research into high fidelity because I bought a $20 receiver that I was just telling Ben on Facebook Marketplace, and that was a story. Um, I rarely have ever been on like complete dirt roads, but I went on a complete dirt road for about 20 minutes at 7 o'clock at night in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska. You pack and eat? And I almost got stuck 20 times. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> I was not packing heat, but <laughs> it was so just bad. for a like, stereo it, receiver. Yes, and not even guaranteed to like be in working order. It's devotion. So I know, <laughs> and we were kind of in that 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 weird thaw period. So all the snow and ice was melting. So it was like at the bottom of a of a mud hill in my '04 Honda Civic. That weighs next to nothing. So, but we made it. We're safe. It's currently in the shop getting some TLC. I should hopefully, within the next week and a half or so, have it back. And then I can give a full review on it here on Young Nostalgia and let you know. But Ben also has a little bit of hi-fi equipment um, picked up from his grandfather, huh? I do. Um, It is the, the exact model number off the top of my head escapes me right now. Um, but it is a, basically a complete Fisher setup. Um, like studio standard kind of, like, uh, that kind of line or, um, you know, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not sure the actual model line is branded on the outside of any of the equipment. Um, but it's got a, it's, it's a modular setup that's got the receiver, which, you know, super cool old school receiver with the actual uh, analog gauges. Excuse me. Oh, that's um, awesome. For the left and right channels. Um, it's got a AM FM tuner, uh, dual cassette deck. Uh, I think that's it as far as the modules. And then it's also got the accompanying... Uh, turntable on it as well. That's cool. The only thing it's missing is a power supply, right? Uh, p- 
power supply is internal to the amplifier. I I know. I'm just being a little. Oh, <laughs> just being a little shithead. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Mission yeah. mission accomplished. <laughs> Ben's like, uh, no. <laughs> like power supply. What are you talking about? Like, it's modern stuff. <laughs> An external power brick. Yeah. Like, <laughs> now this gosh. is all, all one twenty. The uh, I've actually opened it I up. I love it. It uh, it needs a lot of new lights and it needs new belts on the uh, the turntable needs a new belt as well as the cassette deck. So I've had it open. I've been checking nice. voltages on the uh, backlights and all that, and it's it is one twenty all on the inside. There's no lower voltage DC stuff like you'd see in the modern equipment. Uh, so I got to be right. a little choosy on uh, uh, light bulbs and stuff when I r- retrofit it, which I'll probably right. do LED. That's, but Right. But that's so freaking cool, man. This kind of stuff is a rabbit hole of uh, avid collecting. It's pretty bad. Spent 20 bucks on this receiver, but I'm about to spend $3,000 on a complete setup. So absolutely <laughs> worth it in the end. No, but if you have a high, hi-fi stereo system out there that you like to jam out to your tunes, give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. Send us a picture of what you have set up and what you like to jam out to. Um, we'll even post a retrospective uh picture of both ben and i's stereo systems as well even though they're not fully complete yet but it's something cool to at least share with uh with everybody listening so that's kind of what we're talking about is vintage radio hi-fi stereo um and why it's so cool um and fun to kind of dig in deep to so without further ado let's kick it off just a tiny little background of just high fidelity in general and then ben can kind of talk to us a little bit about why overall vintage audio was so sought after was because of how much thought they put into the quality of what sounded needed to be Mm -hmm. so he'll talk to us about the listening tests and stuff like that that evolved over the lifetime of hi-fi audio uh, high fidelity, often shortened to hi-fi, um, is a term used by listeners, audiophiles, and home audio enthusiasts to refer to high-quality reproduction of sound. This is in contrast to the lower-quality sound produced by either inexpensive audio equipment or inferior quality of sound reproduction, um, as such as phonographs and all that from in the late 1940s and before. Um, and then that's kind of when tube amps and everything kind of took up speed and at that point you kind of see more audio testing and audio improvement and how to reproduce sound for higher quality um, listening so what's up man what was some of the things that they did to make sure that um, audio was top-notch so as technology moved forward um, and there was a lot more focus put upon the actual quality of sound recordings Uh, listening tests were used by hi-fi manufacturers, audiophile magazines, and audio engineering researchers, as well as scientists. Um, so if a scientist and scientists, like, this is some scientists. Yes, it went all the way down to scientists. Before Bill Nye got his career on <laughs> ABC Family, he was actually a scientist for the high fidelity uh, stereo equipment. <laughs> Uh, so if science <laughs> rules, <laughs> sorry, that's oh, terrible. Um, so if a listening test is done in such a way that the listener who is assessing the sound quality of a component or recording 
um, can actually see the components that are being used. Uh, for example, the same musical piece listen listen through a tube amplifier versus a solid state amplifier. Um, then it was uh, often that the listener's pre-existing biases towards or against certain components or brands could affect their judgment. And so they actually started doing blind tests, uh, which researchers would uh, not tell the subjects what components were being used. Um, they would obviously, it wasn't a double blind test by any means. So the, the researchers knew full well what was going on, but uh, these subjects were not aware of the style of equipment being used. They weren't aware of the brand of the equipment being used. They were just like, hey, sit down, listen to this. What do you think? Um, right. And that doesn't mean that double blind tests still weren't a thing. Like those things did occur. Well, yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, for something like this, though, it was it was subjective to the <laughs> subjective to the subject. So it, was, <laughs> it wasn't uh, it wasn't quite as necessary to do a double blind as it would be like a, uh, uh, you know, it's not like the, the researchers were observing the reaction of the subject. So a double blind wasn't necessarily uh, wasn't necessarily needed in this application, although it did. There were double blinds on some of this. Right. And it's really cool. Um, after all my digging into like vintage hi-fi stereo equipment that it was ever produced, I came across um, this website. I think it was like audiophilehistory.org or something like that. But they, hi, they, they uh, HD, uh, HD scan old like stereo buying guides. Mm-hmm. So it was like this magazine that would be released once a year and it would have just a roundup of complete stereo buying guides of all the brands that released new equipment or with equipment within the last couple of years. And they went every everything from all of the specs of every receiver, amp, preamp, tuner, everything, and then including like the power out like watts and all this other stuff, um, including speakers even. So it, it was just really cool to see that they – even today, it's like HD, HD-ified for the magazine. You can just check it out and you can just find an equipment that like you own and read up on it. And something that was also really cool, they even have like a glossary of ads. So in a magazine like this, the whole thing is like even though it's like advertisements, everything is like factual-based as well. So you can go to the back of the magazine and it'll be, oh, Pioneer advertised on this page for this audio equipment. And then you can like search through the whole book and read up on that audio equipment from that ad that pioneer put in there. And it's kind of cool. That, that is super cool. Especially reading about, uh, reading about some equipment that you actually, or maybe you picked it up at a garage sale or something. You want to learn more about it. And you need, it's, it's that easy to go online and find all the specs, um, right. instantly. But you know, a lot of that's still relevant. Cause we'll kind of talk about it here in a little bit. A lot of these old systems are still super, super popular. Um, and Absolutely. it's, and it's not necessarily all about the, uh, nostalgia of it, or it's cool because it's vintage or anything like that. It's, it's desirable because it's good. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it's super high fidelity. It's super, uh, long lasting, very robust built, robustly right. built. 
Um, and it's it's not because people want it just as a collector's item. They want it because they want to listen to it because it's really, really good, um, which is really cool. And it, it's not it's not something that we see as of 2020 in a lot of markets. You know, maybe the same can be made a little bit about uh, automotive industry, I guess. Uh, there is the nostalgia and vintage element, but there's also the element of you know, wanting something old because it was built very, very heavily. Um, but there's not a right. whole lot of markets that you can also say that about. Right. And, and if you think about it, too, one of the appeals of this is that back in the day, like, you know, throughout the 60s, 70s and 80s, hi-fi was so innovative and things were changing so fast to make um, audio reproduction better that all of these brands weren't outsourcing their materials and their build quality to other like not named brands, right? Mm-hmm. So every every brand that you would get of a stereo system would be that manufacturer, those people literally engineering everything inside and out. Yeah. It, and so that's what kind of made this stuff so big too. Exactly. And you know, you look at you open up like a modern piece of sound equipment and it's <clears throat> Once again, we'll talk about it a little bit later. A lot of these hardcore audiophile uh, companies don't do this at all. But if you look at some of the top manufacturers of electronics, you actually open up any of their products, and there, there's there's potentially like chips and boards in there that are made by competitor companies. Um, right. You know, it, you know, you might have. Uh, I'm just. I have no factual basis behind this at all, but just as an example, you know, you might have a, a, a Sony sound system, um, open it up, and you might see a board and chipset or something in there that's it's branded Samsung or something like that. You know, that that kind of thing is yeah. super popular. I mean, it's not really, I guess, as more of a real world application, it's not really part of the audio spectrum. But I think I, I think there's even in like Apple iPhones. I think there's Samsung stuff who is a direct competitor in the mobile device uh, market. Right. But it's cheaper to go that route than anything else. Exactly. And so we see the same sort of thing in the audio equipment market. Right. Yeah. That's, it's crazy. Uh, All right. So I guess I'll go a couple more points here and then turn it back over to you. Uh, So, Stereophonic sound provided a somewhat partial solution to the problem of creating the illusion of live orchestral performances or performers by creating a phantom middle channel. Wow. (laughs) 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 By by creating a phantom middle channel uh, when the listener sits exactly in the middle of the two front loudspeakers, which are, of course, playing in complete stereo. Um, when the listener moves slightly to one side or the other, this phantom channel disappears or is greatly reduced as one channel overpowers the other. Um, an attempt to provide for the reproduction of the reverberation was tried in the 1970s through quadraphonic sound, um, but the technology at that time was insufficient to actually make it a worthwhile endeavor. Um, right. You know, there was issues with taking up a lot of space. There was cost. There was, um, you know, it was a lot more intrusive on the listening environment with having to place speakers around the room. Um, right. and then also and wire like to caught, them. Yeah. 
Right. Cost of fortune. Yeah, the cost was a, a major point. Um, not only to have the uh, the extra hardware to make that happen, like the speakers and cable and that sort of thing, but also the uh, processing for the sound in general. I mean, it's like we've talked. I think we talked about it on the last show how expensive uh, old uh, uh, hard drive space was. It was kind of the same as far as mm-hmm. processing power at this time as well in the 70s um you know even though a lot of stuff tended to be uh tube based and nothing was really solid state yet it was still really really expensive to process sound and so if you have in this case you'd have to basically double it uh in in order to have four channels and okay so you said you had a lot of electronic basis do you know much of the difference between the tubes and solid state do you know what the biggest like? Um, yeah, to an extent, um, solid state amplifier. The basis behind it is a it's a transistor, and so what you can have is you can have a very very small amount of power um, acts on the trying to layman's term this as much as possible. So you have a, a, a you have a. a a transistor and it's basically got three pins on it. You have the trigger, you have the power source and you have an output. Uh, the actual names of those terminals escape my brain right now, but that's what basically <laughs> what it is. So you'd have the, the trigger, which is the, basically the sound input. So a small little wave is going to trigger the, uh, the input. And then it's so like that's coming from like a CD or the turntable in, e- right? Yes. And so, okay. It's going to be triggering, uh, uh, the frequency is going to be basically turning this transistor on and off, and so, uh, depending on the transistor, it can be anywhere in between as well. Um, different states of mid, on, and off, so low voltage. And so what that's going to be do is basically acting as a switch for a higher amplitude wave. And so you have a small little wave coming in, but out you have a bigger, higher amplitude wave and so you're okay. you don't it, you're not you can drive bigger speakers you can uh you can then s- in the in the middle there between the transistor and the output you can have different sound processing you can amplify different uh different ranges of wavelength which would be like your equalizer um and that's a very very basic explanation of that now going back to tubes Vacuum tubes, basically they're doing the same thing. Even way back in the extremely early uh, computer age, that's basically all they did is they took a little tiny little wave, a little wee little bit of power, and they were switching large amounts of power. And so it accomplished the same thing just in a very more complicated way. way it took up a lot more space took a lot more power uh generated heat it was less efficient in what it did Um, okay and so that's about as detailed as i could get as far as that goes without brushing up on my uh uh electronic knowledge or (laughs) boring our listeners to death Um, (laughs) right Right. Basically, all so, it is, if, if like, listeners out there have any sort of electrical experience at all, it's base, It's very similar to a relay, where you can take a little bit of power and turn on and off a big amount of power, 
Um, but it's just a lot. It's it's on a smaller scale. There's no switching contacts. There's it, I'm quickly going down the rabbit hole of no one cares. But <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but a lot of times, a lot of times, people like to describe tube amps or receivers as a very warm sounding kind of um, very good. Very good instruments to play things like jazz. Yes. Very uh, fluctuating kind of music tones with um, a heavy, like, long, bassy undertone. Yes. Um, and that kind of stuff. And then Solid State usually performs pretty well with, like, classic rock systems mm-hmm. and things like that. They're, they're, they're very good at pushing a high load of power very quickly. Yes. And it seems... So. I, I, I know a little bit of the background. It, it, it's... I know a lot of uh, uh, amplifiers in the audio recording area, like uh, amps, like for electric guitars, you have old tube style amps versus solid state. And a lot of the newer solid state stuff is, it might be more crisp, but the older stuff definitely has a warmer, um, almost fuzzy sound to it. Um, And I know that's, not super descriptive on it but fuzzy is a good word for it because it's it is less crisp there might be a little bit of buzz to it um and and it all comes down to how well that sound wave is emulated whether it's perfectly crisp like a anything solid state will do or if it's kind of muddied a little bit uh like a tube amp and that's actually kind of a a big thing in the music industry right now is there's a lot of people who are wanting the tube amp sound, but they want the ease of use and reliability of the solid state. So there's a lot of uh, kind of transitioning this over to the, the 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 guitar and music industry. There's a lot of uh, boards and pedals that emulate. They're 100% designed to emulate the tube amp style all through software. Um, before outputting it with solid state technology, modern technology. Isn't that nuts? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's 2020. But not like we can move on from this point because we've kind of stuck there too. But <laughs> also keep in mind, of course, there's always a go-between. And there actually was a solid period of time where people will were um, using a hybrid of tube and solid state within one receiver. So... Oh, I've gotcha. never really researched that much, but uh, there is like a hybrid blend out there that you could get as well. I mean, look, we're trying to be like salesmen on like who, like, you know, what do our listener base want to listen to? But <laughs> let us know if you have a preference of solid state or tube at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. But it's also personal preference. If you want to get into hi-fi stereo equipment, get one of both. Usually you can find one of both for a, a pretty reasonable price mm-hmm. out there in the market. So anyway, okay. That's crazy. Look at us. I didn't even know that we knew this much about all this stuff. But this, uh, this is freaking cool. Yeah, we just like, went we on a 10-minute tangent. Ourselves. <laughs> Practically experts. Yeah. All right, go ahead and take us on to the next couple points here. Okay. All right. Let's 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 look here. Where are we at? Um, uh, so with the rise in popularity of home theater and kind of hi-fi audio equipment, multi-channel playback, systems actually became more affordable. So kind of where the demand was a lot higher, people are going to uh, and companies are going to turn their attention to that. 
and start building more hi-fi surround sound equipment. And many consumers were willing to tolerate the six to eight channels required for a home theater system because it sounded good. The advances made in signal processors to synthesize an approximation of good concert hall can, can now provide a somewhat more realistic illusion of listening to a concert hall as you're surrounded by speakers, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. So instead of like being in a concert hall that's designed to have acoustic surroundings, designed to be like that, now if you just put another speakers around you, it sounds like you're right in the middle of the band. <laughs> that's yeah. pretty much what it boiled down to. So. Exactly. And a huge, a huge portion of this, of having that big concert hall feel is made with the slight delay in playback from the front speakers to the rear speakers. Um, okay. Yeah. And it might be, it might be so minuscule that you can't actually pick it out. It just, it just, you know, if you hear it, you sound like, wow, that's like, it's, I'm sound, it sounds like I'm in a huge room. Well, that's because there's a delay between the front and the back. Um, and it creates an echo, uh, whether you notice it or not, there's a slight echo from the front to the back. Um, and it's mimicking the echo you would get, even if you're, uh, listening to front facing speakers in a big concert hall, um, you're still going to get that echo as the sound fills the room. Um, that's really cool. And that's what modern surround sound systems are emulating basically. And on modern systems, I mean, that's all adjustable. You can, you can dial, dial up or dial back the echo and change the left and right echo to basically suit your needs. But, um, that's really all that it's doing. That's awesome. I just remember like being in our 200 square feet dorm room together and we had my (laughs) 5.1 surround sound system (laughs) with with the subwoofer underneath the futon. Dude, we wrecked havoc, man. That, that was freaking sweet. Yeah. We got, we had quite a few noise complaints (laughs) from our neighbors on that. Um, that was so good. It was so worth it. See, they complained until they played Call of Duty with us, and then they said, "Yeah, this is probably the best setup we've ever seen." Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you, like you're looking at the screen, and you can hear someone creeping up behind you, and they're like, "Okay, we get right. it now. We get it." Right. <laughs> it's worth it. It's amazing. Still have that surround sound system hooked up. It's that stuff is cool. Um. So in addition to spatial realism, the playback of music must be subjectively free from noise. I am so sorry. I literally copied and pasted from the best source in the entire world. So it's a little bit wordy. Um, so pretty much they need to started to isolate and get rid of the hiss or the hum to achieve, to achieve realism. You know, like you're not at a concert hall and you don't hear like the entire time. Right. So the compact disc, the CD actually helped them get to this point so it provides about 90 decibels of dynamic range which exceeds the 80 decibels of dynamic range of music as normally perceived in a concert hall so because it was able to um, increase the range they put the hisses and the hums way above what we can comprehend mm-hmm. audio equipment must be able to reproduce frequencies high enough and low enough to be realistic as well as getting it out of our ear range for the most part, if that makes sense. So they're trying to control the bad parts that are just constant with audio reproduction and put that out of range. And so that's kind of how you can gauge how high quality stereo equipment can be. It is. And it's and in modern stuff, they've they've gone further and further in this uh, quest to remove outside noise from the the 
the audio signal and it's you know moving this moving towards a digital type format was a huge step um but you know that's that's around for a while and everyone gets tired of it and they want something better so what we see now is you know with with all the hum and noise removed from the actual recording itself uh what we're left with is any residual noise generally comes from the power source in one's home um i know especially in ohio um, we have really dirty power, which means there's a lot of noise in the actual power grid itself. Um, so it's crazy. You, I had no idea. So it's almost just like water, right? Like you can have, um, you know what they call it, like uh, heavy water, yeah. right? With a lot of minerals and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I never knew that that even was a factor with yeah with power yeah yeah and it, and it, it it's really easy for that to especially with older sound equipment that is not solid state that's really easy for that to be translated directly through the power supply in the unit um right into the sound um so any stray voltage anywhere can create uh wreak havoc on the actual output and so What we see a lot now is it's very common for the actual final uh, output of the audio to the isolated amplifier to be what's called octo-coupled, or opto-opto-coupled, sorry. Octo-coupled. So you think of, uh, you know, if if everything is hardwired, there's always a possibility of stray voltages and stray frequencies to make their way in and create some background noise to the audio. But if you have the best way to describe this is you have a light in this case, like an led, um, shining in direct, like directly into, there's no discernible gap at all. Shines directly into a photoreceptor. Um, and so every time that light flashes, turns on then off or partially on partially off whatever it's creating a signal in the receptor and so it's just like you have a wire connecting point a to point b except it's done with light which does not obviously does not connect conduct electricity um and in that way you can you can isolate the crap out of any electrical noise in a system. No uh, way. Obvious, That's freaking nuts. Obviously, any noise in the background has to be filtered out. Bef- I mean, there can't be a ton of noise being put into the light itself because if it changes what that light is transmitting, then it's going to be received by the photoreceptor. But if you have to get signal from point A to point B and you're worried about any sort of interference between point A and point B, you can use an octocoupler that would filter all of that out. Uh, it wouldn't. Well, it's not necessarily. That's a bad way of describing it. It won't filter it. It will inhibit the picking up of that electrical noise. That's really cool, uh, man. And that's God. that's also kind of ties into uh, the popularity in optical sound equipment now. When you have like an optical cable uh, running your sound right. system instead of like a coax. Uh, single wire connection uh it's basically doing the exact same thing when you have a single wire connection uh you know that that isn't split up into left and right channels or anything it's still a digital it's still a digital transfer of information but if you do it over light 
uh, light through a cable, there's no chance of it picking up surrounding electromagnetic interference that other wiring in your house might be putting out. Um, right. The, I mean, because a- any wire just laying across the floor will act like an antenna in your car and just pick up everything uh, and create noise in your sound system. So if you have a, a system like this that's using light instead of electricity, um, it's impossible for it to pick up any of that uh, stray frequencies that are just hanging out in your house. That's so cool. Wow. Um, so I guess that whole tangent was just based <laughs> so off of the, the, the digital media compact disc, which was a, a, a huge step in that direction with like a no contact media kind of thing. Right. Dude, that's really cool, man. I learned a whole bunch. <clears throat> well, thank you so much for tuning in to Yet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we have one last little bit here before we end out episode 85. Do you want to pick it up, man? End us out. Sure, I'll pick us up a little bit. So, we, this is probably one of the coolest things about like hi-fi equipment. Is this last little bit? It is. It, it's it's about how easy it is to mix and match different components based on how much you want to spend and how good you want your system. So, integrated mini or lifestyle systems, also known by older terms. A uh, music center or MIDI system contain one or more sources such as a CD player, or tuner, cassette deck, um, and you can mix and match all these together with any sort of pre-amplifier and a power amplifier in one box. Um, some high-end manufacturers do produce integrated systems, uh, but such products are generally disparaged among the hardcore audiophiles. Uh, who prefer to actually build their system from separate components. Uh, And it's very often that these items actually are from different manufacturers and very, very specialized for one single uh, function. This obviously provides a ton of flexibility for piece-by-piece upgrades, repairs. Um, You know, you decide, hey, all my stuff's really good, but I'm getting a lot of feedback for example through the tape deck you know that's kind of my crappiest piece maybe i'll just swap that out to something better now i've got a total hi-fi system and then then obviously you're gonna you're gonna still keep finding the weak (laughs) links and you're gonna keep buying and keep buying and upgrading different things right (laughs) Um, but that kind of describes a little bit my uh my Fisher setup. And obviously my setup, I haven't gone through and piecemealed everything. You know, it's, it was all designed as one system together, but it describes the modularity of everything. Now these things like the cassette deck, the tuner, the amplifier, the turntable, all 100% separate. Um, right. And they, it does come with a, uh, it does have a cabinet that goes with it, but it's every single one of these gets its own shelf in this cabinet. And you can take one out, put one back in, swap it out with something else as as you need which is it, it, pretty neat um right and, and they would like design and engineer this way like a lot of times like we were talking about just before we went on air where they would have switched or unswitched outlets on the back so when you plug in let's say the main part of the component system like the tuner or the receiver mm-hmm. or the amplifier or whatever you plug that in everything else plugs into the back of that and just runs directly off that. So you hit the power button on the amplifier or the receiver, everything else turns on, you're good to go, and you're rocking. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to worry about unplugging and turning off everything individually. Um, 
or you don't have to worry about leaving it on all the time while you're not listening to it. All you have to do is hit one button on your amplifier and all these separate systems come on uh, all at once. You don't all the wiring can be hidden. You can hide the plugs behind the whole unit. You don't ever have to mess with it. Right. It was beautiful, man. They they thought about that stuff so much. It was cool. <laughs> it is. It, I mean, it really is. Um so kind of like we were talking about a little bit this modularity um, really allows enthusiasts to spend pretty much as little or as much as they want on a component um, based on their specific needs. Uh, in a system built from separate components, sometimes a failure on one component still allows partial use of the rest of the system. Um, and, you know, say your your tuner dies and you have to send it out to be fixed. Well, you can still listen to you can still listen to the tape deck if you want. Um, while you're right. waiting on that to, to come back and after repairs. Um, but if you're looking at like an integrated system, something goes out, whether it's power supply or the tape deck, uh, you've got an issue um, and it's jammed up or something. There's a lot of times where you can't use the entire system until you fix that one issue, um, which means you're you're out of any listening material until you get that one problem fixed. Right. And that's kind of what comes out of receivers, right? So the receiver will have an integrated tuner as well as a preamp and amplifier. So you can literally just have a, have a receiver, have a set of speakers, and then your turntable hooked up, and then you're good to go. Mm-hmm. You already have a hi-fi audiophile system right there. But if the receiver goes out, you're shit out of luck, and there's nothing you can do about it. You have to wait until that thing's fixed, and then you can get up and run it again. So Right. And, you know, even with a modular system, there are problems that you can have that will shut down your whole system. So if, you're, if your amplifier, you know, takes a crap on you, you blow a cap or whatever on it, you know, it's you can't play anything else without that system. So it's still all the, all the auxiliary equipment that you have plugged into it you know, all that stuff can go out and you can use anyone at your choice, but you know, you still, when it comes down to it, you still, if, if you can't receive that audio, process it and output it, you know, you, you, you can't listen to anything. Right. Right. So I love it, man. That was really freaking cool. That was a good episode. I liked it. I think that wraps us up here. Episode 85, all about high fidelity equipment and stereo components. Uh, If you like what you hear, please follow us out there on your favorite podcast app, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We're out there as well as please give us a nice, kind review. We love to hear from you guys. Give us a five star and take about 20 seconds. Let us know what you like to hear. And again, we want to see your guys' hi-fi stereo equipment, whether it's used or not. If you remember a stereo equipment that you grew up with give us an email of the picture um, of what you like to listen to and how it's all set up youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com you can also let us know what you like about the show what do you want to hear more of or if you want to be a guest give us a shout out i think that's pretty much it ben anything else big guy no, it was a pretty good show it was a pretty good show hopefully i didn't uh end up rambling too much about some techie nerd nonsense um uh, but uh yeah that was a good show definitely a little bit out of our normal uh show realm uh haven't really talked too much about anything like this in the past maybe a little bit into the we talked about like the uh kind of the history of audio formats oh right right um but definitely nothing this in depth and i think it turned out pretty good absolutely man especially since you and i are like goo goo gaga about 
audio quality and stuff like that. It's pretty cool to kind of give a deep dive and then talk about it with our listeners. So you guys rack. Oh, sorry. You guys rock as always. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Young Nostalgia. As we always say here on Young Nostalgia. Keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. We'll talk to you next week.